0: The good thing is we have the capacity for editing. That's true. You know, <laughs> now it's recording. Now it's pre- okay. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we'll fix it in post. Yeah, I'll take
1: this out. Okay. Or will I? <laughs> That's something that I want to do every time, but I haven't actually done. I don't know if it's that I'm lacking the courage to put the thing you don't want on the air on the air, or if I'm just being prudent. I'm sure
0: I'm just. Have I given good. you something that I really don't want on the air yet? It might be from Restless.
1: There's a couple things in, with Restless that I've I've been given very explicit instruction to be like edit this part out.
0: I like, <laughs> I like to think I haven't said anything overly controversial. Just no, yet.
1: no. Although in the last episode we, the last episode we recorded, we started with an SNL sketch sketch you didn't want on there, and I uh, referenced Family Guy. So <laughs> great start.
0: Look, we're we're doing everything we possibly yeah. can,
1: including not introducing our guests for the first minute of a podcast. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. Hey, I'm Father Sam Kachuba. I'm Matt Sparazza. Welcome to the tangent. <laughs> Dr. Greg Bataro, thanks for being with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's great to be part of The tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, the first of many. <laughs> Just you wait. It's gonna go crazy. Uh, so Dr. Greg, you're the founder of the Catholic Psych Institute. That's right. Right. And the author of several books. A few. Several now, which is really cool. That's, How many? Do you know the number? No, I don't even know the number. It's more than we've written.
1: Th- yeah, this is oh, I love this joke. <laughs>
0: We've made this joke now with several <laughs> other authors episode. who have come on. Yeah, they like he's written more books than us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have one that I I did solo, and then I had I have one that I did with Jen Settle from the T.O.B. Institute. Okay, and then one I did with my wife, which is my favorite. And. Uh, we have a bunch of other like pamphlets and booklets and things like that. So I don't know what counts, but something that can <laughs> be hardcover, is yeah, three, yeah, basically
0: three there. Okay,
1: if it's published and people can get it,
0: it counts. Okay, all right. All right. So your solo book is the Mindful Catholic. That's right. Uh, the one you wrote with Jen Settle is Consecration to Saint Joseph. Yep. And the one that you wrote with with your wife Barbara is Sitting like, like a, a saint. saint.
3: Yeah.
2: Yep. And it's mm-hmm. basically that that process of of praying in a spirit of abandonment to divine providence, but for kids. So nice. it's the way we calm our crazy kids down and we decided to just put pretty pictures to it and give it to other parents to use. Okay.
0: Now, I can tell you from from having been in the house with your crazy kids that their ability to calm down is incredible. It is it is astounding. It's like it's it's wild. They they can be running and screaming one minute and then praying the rosary the next. And I've been there for Family Rosary and it's the most amazing thing in the world. And then and then and then up and screaming around in the middle of the rosary again. <laughs> yeah, but like they just like they <laughs> calm down. Like now they got just gotta let it out, right? It's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what I've noticed too is that they are somehow they've picked up how to like be on their best behavior with guests. And so when, when you come over and when we pray the rosary, it's like, I'm like, these kids are doing fantastic. This is amazing. This is such a good look for us.
0: <laughs> we need to have more guests over for <laughs> family rosary time. Regularly.
1: <laughs> Father Sam, can you come over for the rosary?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Can back. I stay for dinner? No. <laughs> no, no, Just no. Dinner's rosary. not on the table. calm in the rosary tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the rosary. Oh, man. So when you founded the Catholic Psych Institute, what were you going for?
2: Oh, boy. Well, I, you know, I was in grad school. I was still, like, didn't even finish my doctorate yet, and I was already thinking about branding. I didn't know that I was thinking about, but I I was, I kind of realized, okay, I, I was at a fork in the road. I can go one of two directions. And a lot of my classmates were looking at how to go into the secular field, into the world, and bring Catholic values with them and just be really sort of implicit and subtle about it. And then uh, some people had more active kinds of roles connected with the church and were more overt. And I was really discerning and praying a lot about what my call was in the midst of that. And I had had done, I had been three and a half years in religious life. I was a CFR Franciscan. And so I was literally wearing my faith on my sleeve. You know, it was like my (laughs) way of life. It's like my personality. It fit and i discerned out a religious life but it still i realized was was very much my my character so it was like i, I can't do anything subtle or implicit <laughs> it's,
0: it's gonna, there's there's cuz if there's anything we know about therapies that there's no subtlety to right. it at all <laughs> exactly it's bad enough on its own but it's so i
2: just realized all right i'm going to go all in on this and and i didn't know Anything about again marketing, branding, business building? Any like we're not taught any of that stuff in, in grad school for psychology. Or in I <laughs>
0: thought, yeah, I was gonna say with the CFrs. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know, the CFrs have a pretty recognizable brand. And they do, like, and they, their Instagram is rocking. Too, yeah, so I,
2: not intentionally though. It's like this right, stuff yeah. just kind of happened, and that's what happened to me too. It was like I didn't realize I was doing something called niching down. Right. And marketing and business is really intelligent and smart, but what I what I did was I was like, all right, I'm gonna just own. The Catholic identity piece of it, so I came up with this website or this this name Catholic Psych. I you know bought the URL for the website like before I even graduated. Awesome. And then I was like, well, it's just going to be a private practice. I had connections in New York from the Friars, so I was Mm -hmm. like, this is a great place to start. And I would know the way the church works, you know, locally there. And so I I found an office to rent some space out of, and then I just sort of hit the pavement for the first six months. When I when I moved up to New York, and I was just pounding down doors, just up and down the avenues, from church to church, rectory to rectory, and you know, learning how to schmooze the parish secretaries, who are the gatekeepers <laughs> to the pastors, <laughs> <laughs> realizing that there's a very wide church in terms of uh, orthodoxy and fidelity to to the ways of the church. You know, I, I remember I was at, I said one of these first meetings, I was like, you know, I practice. A, a psychology, but in line with orthodox Catholicism. And and the person I was speaking to just looked at me and goes, oh, orthodox, like Greek? And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, like true true to the teachings of the church. And right. Then, and <laughs> no, like not heterodox. Like I had like three heads and I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to back slowly out of this. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Like, if, when, when the word orthodox is unfamiliar entirely... I, I think yeah. we're in dangerous territory. Yeah, right, so right. that could be it's a like, tough spot. We're gonna have our work cut out for us. So
2: but that that was how I started. And then, you know, really again, because of it being such a niche, there's so few people doing this. It's such a huge need. Then other graduate students were interested in and in sort of following suit. Mm. And then I little by little I had a, somebody come to me who wanted me to train and supervise her. And then that just grew. And and next thing you knew, I had people coming for training, for supervision, for even just how to do this in a Catholic way mm. was mm. was something that was needed. And then I just, you know, that that's that's where it grew from there. Ten years later, here we are.
0: Yeah. And it seems like there's there's the twofold need. There's the need for people who are searching for therapy and some kind of care. And then there's the need for therapists who can provide that kind of care. Right. So how do you how did you see all of that working? Yeah, I mean, I, I just was, again,
2: I, I had just gotten uh, engaged when I was graduating, and then I had signed a lease on the apartment. We were, it was a studio apartment, 600 square feet in Manhattan. I moved up in September. So what did it cost,
1: like $5,000, $6,000? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was
2: something like some blood, yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> some signing over of firstborn children. Right, I, didn't, yeah. Yeah, I forget the deal on the lease, but- it was the deal. <laughs> the deal. <Okay. laughs> it was it was it was amazing. I was really excited. No, but I I so I, I remember I moved in in September, and we were going to get married in October. So my wife was still down in DC, and we were preparing for the wedding. And I was basically starting a business. And it was like I, I don't no know pressure. I No pressure at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so, and then we were going to, we were, the plan was we were going to space out children a little bit and give it some time to kind of get our feet on the ground. That didn't happen honeymoon baby that I realized, okay, now you have like six months to actually get this sustainable and take care of, you know, rent and and food. And, and so I was just trying to get my name and out there to be available. And that's what I thought. Pastors. People in church, the archdiocese. I did speaking for, for the archdiocese, mm-hmm. the young adult stuff. I was doing pre cana, um, just anything I could come up with. And bringing in therapists or letting therapists know I was out there was kind of like accidental. You know, it was basically colleagues from my school and, you know, other people know other people. And then they started sending me, you know, contacts and things like that. So it was all all very spirit driven and very organic and accidental. I can't claim. To have any sort of forethought on this at all, <laughs> there was no intentional planning about this at all.
0: <laughs> I can't emphasize
2: enough just how little I plan. <laughs> I, I really, and how little I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I really, if I give the impression that I know what I'm doing, please, please do not
0: be fooled. That is an illusion. Wow. But do you find like people who are are rooted in their faith might hesitate to seek out therapy? might hesitate to seek some kind of psychological support? Yeah, I
2: mean, honestly, I think everybody hesitates to seek out therapy for some reason or another. And faith is an easy scapegoat. Yeah. And whatever people have at the forefront of their mind becomes the vehicle through which resistance and unconscious defense mechanisms and all those kinds of things sort of get into that car. It could be faith. It could be professionalism. It could be family culture. It could be a lot of different things. But people will find a reason to avoid Opening up their deepest raw wounds and being vulnerable to places that they <laughs> yeah, could be I mean, really vulnerability hurt.
1: Vulnerability is so hard, <laughs> right? Yeah, I
2: mean, it's like there's. It makes sense, yeah. you know. It's like there's a good. It's like here's a right. gash in your skin. Like,
0: let's not open it up, right, but right. we don't look at the blood. What well, we were saying before, Matt. What did you major in in college?
1: I was a songwriting major.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. So you <laughs> yeah, majored so in. So
1: I majored in rhyming. Uh, <laughs> I said being professionally emotional, and Father Sam suggested I was also majoring in being emotionally manipulative.
0: <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> that's what songwriters <laughs> do. Like, they have to play with the emotion of the person who's going to hear their song, that's right? That's probably yeah. very well connected to therapy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is I rock therapy,
1: man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did therapy like a pro. That's <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also why I'm a podcaster now. Right. I am professional at oversharing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. And you can manipulate people's emotions. And that's right. right. That's yeah, great. yeah. Do you see that meme? It's something about like, uh, I I felt like I was. My therapist told me I was doing well, and so now I think that I'm winning at therapy, which is a perfectly normal thing to think that I can win. <laughs> right. On. Yeah. When you've got somebody who's particularly religious, though, uh, and they're they're open to seeking therapy, one of the things that they'll they'll often come up against is that the therapist that they go to has no interest at all in their religious yeah. background. It like doesn't incorporate their spirituality, and so it kind of looks at them. And so I, I've I've talked to people about this feeling like really kind of pushed away by their therapist because there's there's no understanding or uh, accounting for their their faith and yeah. their relationship with God.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think you know I've I've gone back and forth on this over the years, but I think the real problem there's a the sort of underlying premise that we, do, we should look at first is that therapy is a thing like it's it's just overgeneralized. It's not a one thing experience. It's there's multiple approaches, there's multiple experiences, and there's there's multiple problems that are being solved. So we really have to first ask like what kind of therapy are you looking for? And so there's you know, if you need a nutritionist, if you're trying to lose weight, if you are, need a physical therapist, you had an injury or you want to work on mobility or you want to deal with something, like you have a very specific goal and you find a coach or you find uh, an expert in a particular field. And that's great. You know, and you can have a sleep issue that you want to just work on this one little thing. So th- there are there are these little compartments, these little categories that you you maybe can work with somebody who doesn't share your faith and you can still get good nutritional direction exercise direction even sleep hygiene direction mm. things like that when we start to go deeper into the person that's when it becomes more important and it's like all right how much of yourself are you opening up like we talk about vulnerability well when you when you enter into a relationship a therapeutic relationship and you don't know what you're going to be talking about That's pretty scary, and it's really vulnerable, and then you don't know where that conversation leads where you're not going to know what you need from the other person. And so then, if you're with somebody who you know implicitly at the deepest level you're not on the same page with, you're going to be guarded, even though you're talking about things that should probably go to those deeper places, Mm. but there's going to be that sort of unconscious or even conscious resistance to talking about opening up these things. We're not just talking about sleep problems anymore. Now we're talking about my identity, the way I see myself, my mm-hmm. vocation, mistakes I made in college, like any any of these things. It's like we need right. perspective from the person we're talking to that aligns on the deepest level with our worldview. Right. How disastrous that it would be to, you know, broach that topic of mistakes I've made in college to then have your therapist say that wasn't a mistake. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So so there might be a reason why you're not sleeping at night. Maybe it right. has nothing to do with like the caffeine that you ate at, at drank at four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it does, but also there's the mistakes you made in college that you <laughs> right. haven't actually- That are keeping you awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> dealt with, you know. So, so that's why, you know, now I pretty much say, you know, people that are sort of open-ended seeking a therapist, I would say it's it's really important to find somebody that you align with mm. in terms of worldview and faith. Right. Not to put down people that are doing it out there who they're probably doing good work, for, even if they don't have the faith background, but for people of faith, which which was what you led with, it's like, yeah. what, are, what are those people going to look for? That would make the most sense. Right. Now there's that that
1: that faith aspect right that covers the if you're if you are a christian looking for a therapist it's good to find a christian therapist right but how about that what what seems to me could be a pro- problematic issue of blaming everything on like spiritual warfare right how do you hold that balance
2: yeah that's the how, other side
1: right how do you look at it and, and instead of <laughs> instead of being like you maybe maybe you had caffeine at four p.m. You're like, hey, just throw on a Saint Benedict medal, right. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, because because I mean, that seems like that could be a temptation as yeah. a as a lay person, not a priest nor a therapist. Uh, I see things like this, and I'm like, man, what prayer should I pray? Right. You know, and maybe I should stop drinking coffee at four.
2: Yeah, and I think that is part of that resistance that comes up, and this is I one of the deepest sort of missions of our of our institute in my work that we've developed is. A a sort of preservation of and and a, a support of the integration mm-hmm. of the human person. And really it's a reference to the incarnation. Right. You know, so like this is what I find is really lacking in a lot of the teaching of the the church, not not the not the actual teaching, but the way that we talk about mm. our humanity, the way that it's taught, we lose sense of our humanity. We lose sense of the fact that it was through humanity that God entered into our world, and that is the path towards perfection that he provided for us through Christ. So we're not going to find a path outside of our humanity that leads to the resurrection. It's going to be through our humanity. So what does that mean? Practically speaking, it's like, all right, your, your biochemical neural pathways matter, Right, your you know your your hormones matter. Right, yeah. yeah. What triggers your adrenaline and cortisol matters. What makes you feel better? What triggers oxytocin matters. Like all this stuff, the matter matters. The brain matters, <laughs> and that's why it's it's so easy to become less human by being over spiritualized. Yeah, and it's it's not who we are all we're called to be. It's not who we're created to be. Mm. So that all the Benedict medals in the world. Is is not going to help, right?
0: The problem,
1: right, right,
0: yeah. And then at the same time, you can over psychologize almost like you can yeah. you can get too much into. We're just going to psychoanalyze the heck out of everything, right? And there's there's nothing incarnational at all, right? Yeah. yeah, there's nothing
2: there's nothing transcendent, right? Nothing spiritual, and and that's what ends up. You know, it's funny because a lot of times people ask the question about uh, spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. and we do work with exorcists, and you know consulted with exorcists in a number of different cases and we have someone you know on speed dial that right we'll often reach out to right and people say like well how do you know the difference when it's you know symptoms that you're looking at are one or the other and it's like the question is wrong from the start there's never it's always both right it's just a matter of what particular specialists do we need at this point in the process yeah you know if we're really working with the full suite of tools available like, everybody should be going to confession. You know, like, that's the number one first step in terms of the spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. Before we're talking about, you know, getting permission from a bishop for an exorcism, right. it's like, all right, did you go to confession? Right, right. Because that on, actually step one. is step how to black yeah. out the devil right. and the work of demons. Yeah. It's right. like, are you, are you right sacramentally? Right. You know, and then, but also, there's all the psychological stuff that accompanies it. That, and that's why I love the book, uh, um, screw tape letters mm. by C.S. Lewis. Book. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Because it's very clear that the devils are using our psychology. Mm. It's not an either or, it's always both and. And we, in any exorcism case, it's like, where are the psychological wounds that are festering and that are opening up doors that are allowing for the spiritual work to happen? And in every psychological case, it's like, where are the spiritual compromises being made that we can shore up? And it's not, again, it's never either or. It's not like, oh, if you just go to confession, everything's going to be better. No, that's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Also, if you just take this medication, it's it's all going to be better. No, we're not saying that either. It's always both and. So that's the truly integrated incarnational way to approach mm-hmm. these problems.
1: I stress that a lot. Uh, I'm a teacher. I'm mm-hmm. a theology teacher. And I stress that a lot with the high school students that I teach. Um, in particular, because, you know, we're grow- they're growing up. I say we are because I'm— one of them. To, I'm You're got, still growing up. I am close to age them. Some of the high, some of the seniors, I'm like, guys, I'm not that much older than you. You do have to call me Mr. Sprout, but I am not that. Much older. Especially <laughs> when they're like bigger than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's one kid that I look up to. You know, um, he's gonna play basketball. It's fine. Um, but I, I'll say to them, you know, you are your body, but you are not just your body. Yeah. You know, like, and that's something that that I try and stress because I feel it's important. I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, certain kinds of ethics, you know, mm. uh, and ways that they're being told to live. Yeah, yeah. That, like, listen, you got, you got to remember this. This is a both-and situation. Everything you do is physical, and everything you do is spiritual. It's always both. Yeah. You know? And, and I have found, when, when I first recognized that, that changed the way I think. Like that changed my entire life, I think. Yeah, you know, in a very dramatic fashion.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I, I think like pedagogically, this is where we find these tools. Like, yeah, it's really important to find the angles to mm-hmm. teach this well because I remember, in, in in my program, I I read a study that was done on nuns, and they were they were looking at the way that brains operate and change within mystical experience. Mm. And it was just the coolest thing to realize, like if if somebody's having a mystical experience, their brain shows it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's something happening in the brain. And in fact, they can trigger mystical like experiences by biochemically affecting the brain. Mm-hmm. And then in this study, they were looking at Buddhist nuns mm-hmm. and Catholic nuns. And they don't make the distinctions. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we would know that there's a difference in what's happening. But just looking at the brain and then looking at things that are physiologically mm-hmm. correlated with a mystical type, quote unquote, experience, mm-hmm. there are things that are happening there. So, to, to your point, it's it's so important that we recognize it. We are more than our body, but we are our body. So, yeah. like, we can't separate our experience from what's happening and pretend like we're ghosts in the machine. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, we also know that we're called to something beyond what is just limited in our biology right and another another example we teach in our certification is um and i i love this research and this this is like one of the most fascinating studies that i read in terms of male female differences and in in a male brain they found part of the genetic code in the genome where there's a telomere that differs in length
1: what is a telomere uh it's a
2: it's like a the tail end of of um of a gene okay and so you have you have part of the genetic code and in a male brain, there's a gene that you can measure the length of the gene, mm-hmm. and a longer end of the of the gene will correlate to significantly higher levels of commitment and monogamy.
3: Hmm.
0: I definitely knew what a telomere was. Totally,
3: yeah. <laughs> right, <that's> <laughs> that, was,
0: right that was definitely not a new vocabulary yeah, to me like, or anything. No, no, I definitely knew that. I definitely knew that. Yeah. I didn't. I'm not grateful <laughs> that you asked that question at all because I definitely knew. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's an unimportant jargon word for that. It's just, a, <laughs> just genetic code, just the genetics. Unless you're in the certification, and then and then you're gonna have to know that.
0: <laughs> so I I knew the part about the length and that that yeah, but I forgot what the word was. I'm in the certification I for <laughs> of the Catholic Institute right now. I maybe like full disclosure that I'm I'm interviewing my my boss and teacher. You know, <laughs> yeah, teacher not boss. <laughs> so does that go too far? <laughs> so we have we have. The
2: studies that show this, that you can literally look at the male brain, and you can find this gene, and you can measure the length of the telomere, the end of that gene, and you can predict with very high accuracy whether or not that that man is going to be committed and monogamous wow. throughout his lifespan. And you can predict with really high accuracy if he's going to cheat on his spouse.
3: What?
1: What?
2: So this is like, and and so they they've they've looked at this and they've studied this really in in animals by and they they've done the research where they change the length of that gene, and they will make animals change their behavior. So there's two kinds of there's a prairie vole, okay. which is a kind of like rodent type animal.
1: Okay, I thought it was an animal, but yeah. I I'm, I'm glad you said we're
2: not that. talking about genetics. No, I was anymore. like I was like I'm. Um, <laughs> Prairie. Right. Vole. Vole, a vole I like, is like, yeah, not like like-
0: Not a prayer evil, right? Prairie. <laughs> prairie like evil. The prairie it Sounds like vole. a CrossFit yeah. gym for, <laughs> yeah. for
2: Catholics. Prairie <laughs> evil. <laughs> it's in the back of the church. Yeah. If you come, we will mess with your genetics. <laughs> praeryvols. So, we have so they've they so they can inject certain chemicals that change the length of that gene mm. and they make so prairie voles are known for their monogamy. Okay. And what they've studied from different studies is that that's where they came up with uh, the importance of something called oxytocin. And that's a lot of people know oxytocin now, but oxytocin is a thing that makes us feel connected and warm and fuzzy. Mm. Women have a ton more of it than men do, but men need it too. We have it. And prairie voles have it, and, and they have a lot of it, and so they they bond and connect and have monogamous uh, relationships for their whole lifespan. Okay. So they they mate, and then they um, they stay together for their whole life.
1: Way to go, prairie voles.
2: Unless somebody <laughs> injects them <laughs> with the chemical that dissolves the telomere at the end of their genetic code, okay. <laughs> and it makes them then become a polygamous. And they start going crazy and and acting promiscuous. So this is this is from an injection. Right. So and we see the same thing happening correlated to now they don't do that kind of study on humans. Yeah. That would be severely unethical. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, seems it like there'd be
0: some problems.
3: Yeah, right? yeah.
2: So but the but so what this this really forces us to recognize like, okay, behavior has a biological foundation. Mm. There's always going to be a correlate to bio, to in biology to behavior. And yet we're all called to monogamy and right. fidelity to our vows. Yeah, So that's the part where it's like, yeah, we're spiritually called to go beyond our biology. Mm. That's the point. Like we start with the biology, but we transcend it. We have to go further.
1: Grace elevates nature.
2: Absolutely. And then we also realize that it, it gives a lot, it sheds a light on this mystery of suffering and also the diversity of suffering and it, like we're all members of the body of Christ and we all have different things we have to suffer. Right. And so some men have an easier time with monogamy. monogamy. And for some men, being faithful to their vows is actually biologically more difficult. Right. And you know, there's going to be other areas where maybe it's easier for them and harder for the for the other guys, but but those th- that's just changes the way we start to think about what we're called to and in right. the way that we should teach our faith. So Considering
1: that, hypothetically speaking, someone could get a shot and it would change the gene, right? Right. Uh, let's say that you go through an intense spiritual experience. Could that
2: gene change? I don't know if it changes the gene, but it could change other elements of what makes our habits right. develop. So, right. Okay. So the the gene itself won't change. Because it change.
1: sounds like if the gene is set that like polygamy is your natural disposition, right? I mean, that sounds like—it's not that someone is— for lack of a better word, just like damned to it, you know what I mean? Because the soul, that's the intellect and in the will. That's where we make our decisions from, in a sense, right?
2: Yeah, and and this is not to say that there is a polygamy gene that's right, making okay. people be polygamous, <laughs> right? Sure, but yeah. it's it's a correlation, right? Right. And then they were they discovered that it become for, at least in the animals that they studied, right? Right. It it did take away that that drive towards monogamy,
1: because yeah. because I mean, like if you look at some atheistic arguments against free will, they just say everything right. is is chemical reaction, right? Right. So we would say no that's not the case right it's just this interconnection between the gene and the soul
2: right okay i mean the the stuff that we look at in the brain is very correlational meaning that we don't have this one to one and people they get sloppy the way they talk about this stuff because right. we think like oh this part of the brain does that right until mm. you look at somebody's brain and, and they've they've looked at people's brains after death and through autopsy realize there's been cases where somebody had like of their brain missing. (laughs) And then the brain that's there reorganizes itself and different parts of the brain start doing different things. Wow, And you're like, okay, we actually don't know anything about what we're talking about. Like, <laughs> okay. like, you know, it's like, oh, the, you know, prefrontal lobe and there's the executive functioning and we have the occipital lobe and we have all these parts of the brain. And we know that this is where you hear and this is where you remember things in the hippocampus and da, 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 da. And then it's like, until you meet the guy with no hippocampus, but he still remembers stuff,
3: <laughs> right.
2: you know? And then you're like, why well, that just doesn't make any sense. Right. So... We're, we're in in terms of science it's really just trying to make sense of the observable world around us in nature it's not the source or summit of knowledge and truth yeah and if we have to always we live in this postmodern world of uh, you know everything is is science
1: yeah everything is rational you know
2: and it's like well we have to look at this and in fact i was just listening to a a, a podcast by a doctor today and he was saying they have to move even in medicine they he he's pushing for moving away from evidence-based medicine to evidence-informed medicine. Mm. Mm. And evidence-based is like everything that everybody talks about. It's like right. every study, every research project, all the funding, all the comp- the reimbursements from insurance, everything is like is it are you using evidence-based methodologies? Right. And at the end of the day that whole thing is an illusion itself. Right, right. But even just that concept is actually not enough. And what this guy was saying is, you know, yes, it's important. We don't want to contradict what we're observing in nature, mm-hmm. but we also recognize that all science can do is test hypotheses, and, and we're, we're saying we have a guess, and we have not yet discovered that the guess is wrong.
1: Right.
0: That's what science can do. Right, right. Well, you know, when, I think when you let the Catholic faith inform the scientific approach or, or the therapeutic approach or just the, the psychology that you're doing, you're going to see that, look, we know— that it's possible for people to change their behavior, and we know that it's possible for people who have uh, lived radically uh, sinful lives to to change, to right. stop doing that. And so, even if they're genetically predisposed to it, or if right. there's something in their in their DNA that's like kind of pointing them in that direction, they don't have to do it. And with the help of grace, they can they can stop. Right. You know, look at Saint Augustine's life. He's always right. the exactly. He's the poster child for this right. of like right. lived <laughs> a radically sinful life and then stopped doing. It. I mean, maybe Paul was predisposed to murder. I don't know. Um, but there he is, breathing murderous threats on his way to get the Christians in Damascus, and he's yeah changed radically. Changed maybe he had
2: a traumatic brain injury when he fell off the horse. It
0: could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, then he, what a grace. But then, but then, like <laughs> Paul writes about how the, the thing that I want to do is the thing that I'm not doing, and the thing that I don't want to do. That's what I find. Myself right. doing, but even there, I think he's kind of describing exactly the interior struggle that right. the human person experiences. That sometimes we really want to do what we're supposed to do, but we struggle, and for some reason, and and it's not even fully our choice, or it's not even fully our will that's involved. But somehow, I'm still doing the wrong thing. Yeah, you know. So if we're bringing in that Catholic understanding to psychology, then we're going to see well. Whatever it is that you're doing, I don't want to just explain it away and say, right. oh, yeah, well, there's just something in, in your genes that's forcing you to do this, right? right. No, there's there's something more, and and here's a way towards, towards healing. Here's a way that both our, our scientific understanding and, and the things that we know about the human brain and the human psychology and the things that we know about the soul right. can really inform what you're doing.
2: Right, and so this is where I think really interesting research could go to the next level where we take... You know men who have been committed and faithful and monogamous because of being faithful to their vows you know men who are living the hard life of of a catholic spirituality looking at them and to see okay how like how much of what percentage of this population actually has that shorter telomere length You know, can we find?
0: And a telomere is a part of the gene that's right. at the tail end of the, the, the gene. Just, yes. You know, just so you know, Matt, I just wanted you. to make sure that you understood what a telomere was. I uh, didn't before, but now I do. Yeah. No. Thanks. All, All thanks great to you. Great great really job. good. That's really, Doctor Sam. I mean, thing. Father
1: Sam. Yeah, really good at explaining stuff.
2: <laughs> you, make, you make us <laughs> proud. <laughs> no, but that's that's like I, you know, it's that they don't ask that question. Like when they're looking at those populations, that's a variable that didn't enter into the science. Right. So, like, we don't know. How many of those right. unfaithful, nor the faithful population that they're looking at, are actually Catholic and being faithful to their vows? Right. right. They're being. They're just looking at this wider sort of population. So that's why the science falls apart, and then you realize, like, okay, you're not actually getting ultimate truth from science. There's an observation. It's interesting. It's a correlation we can make. Right. What are we actually called to? What are we capable of? And to your point too, I think like we we've talked about it. Like this with addictions for a long time, you know, and without even necessarily knowing the brain science, but there seems to be people that have genetic dispositions towards the more, quote unquote, addictive personality or addictive dispositions versus people who don't. Now, we're all called to not be addicts, right? you know, so like whether we have that or not and you have people who have maybe suffered deeply from alcoholism or other kinds of addictions Mm -hmm. and they have actually found freedom. And so, right. again, it's they're not de- predetermined or doomed right.
0: because of their biochemistry or, well, or brains. Do you remember the name of the saint that uh, that Steve referenced this morning in his talk? The opioid addict. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a, a saint who's I Chinese don't. and he was he was an opium addict. Oh, I remember uh, hearing I about that. I think St. Mark something. I can never I remember really his don't name, remember. so I apologize. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. We'll find the, the actual name. Uh, but he, he was an opium addict, and for years he did not receive Holy Communion. Yeah he didn't receive communion because his confessor said well you keep sinning by by using opium and he couldn't stop and i think the the lack of an understanding of what addiction really was at that time and and what we understand about addiction now i think would allow for a much greater uh, A much greater mercy towards the addict Mm -hmm. to understand there is something that's that's out of their control and to break the addiction is really important. You almost see in his life, maybe an overemphasis on the spiritual healing. Like Mm -hmm. I can just, if I just uh, pray hard enough and go to confession often enough, I can be healed of this affliction, which like you said, that's the foundation, that's the start, but there's gotta be something else. And so, I mean, dealing with, with people who are in recovery now, um, what, what I always see is there's the, on the one hand, there's there's confession and prayer that really helps them, but then there's also the hard work of dealing with changing their behavior and talking through what what triggers the addiction. Like, what why is it that I'm looking for this? And when you yeah. start finding healing for the reasons that they're going to that substance or whatever it is, yeah. that's when the real progress happens.
2: Yeah, and that's something even in itself has has really changed, even in the last 10 years since I started. When I first started there was not a whole lot of connection between addiction and trauma. Mm. And addiction was like this own thing. But now people are talking about that a lot more, which is really important. Because, again, it's it's just another defense mechanism. It's another vehicle that we avoid opening up the deepest wounds. And so you're right. Like, there's, there's always going to be other reasons. And over-spiritualizing it is never going to get to the heart of those things. It's like, all right, what are you actually avoiding in your life? And... The more that we look, the more we find we're like the, the connection to avoidance and defense mechanisms, even with other things, like ADHD. You know, something that you think is totally unrelated. Oh, that's just organic, that's just biological, just need medicine for that. Or there's more integration involved here. Mm. You know, and there could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be any of these other things. Personality disorders certainly, that it, when you walk with somebody individually and you start to go un, unpack those deeper layers, you realize like, oh yeah, you're actually operating in a way to avoid really uncomfortable things from from your experience. Hmm. And and that's where you need the help to hmm. to walk with somebody who can help you confront those things.
0: So that's one of those those areas where yeah, the the field has developed so much. Yeah. And there's such an important development there. You were doing something 10 years ago that nobody else was doing in doing online therapy. Oh yeah. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and everybody started doing that. Yeah. What was it like for you being on the cutting edge of something that you didn't expect to be on the cutting edge of?
2: Oh, it's just pure vindication <laughs> when people started asking me, how do you do this? And in the beginning, people did not think it was good. and and uh, you know, for me, it was I, I stumbled into it by necessity. I was I had my little closet office in Manhattan. And I was working with somebody, I was coming down from Connecticut at that point, and I was working with somebody else who was coming, I think, from New Jersey, and that person was, was dealing with some anxiety. And they had to get on a train and come to find me in my office in Manhattan. And by the time they got to me, they were so riddled with more anxiety, it took 25 minutes of a 45-minute session to to, right. come, to, right. to reground and center out of that anxiety. And then we had to prepare for going back on the train. You know, I was just like, this is a little crazy. And, and because they wanted a Catholic provider and there was nobody else where they were. So I was like, listen, let's just, why don't we do this on online? Let's use, I used Skype at the time because we didn't even have Zoom right, at that yeah, point. Yeah. And so started doing it out of necessity and it was great. And we, we had rapport and we had, you know, it was very personal and it was, it was working. You know, and he was able to work through some stuff. So then I just started to look how the human approach, really thinking about the good of the other, maybe steps us outside the the parameters of the sort of practice as it's done. But if if we're practicing for a higher purpose, then there's, there's some confidence and support in that, you know, and that was what I needed to tap into in my prayer life and my faith. And then, and then, little by little, that became the norm. So then, you know, like I said, I was, I was, I was happy when other people started asking for, <laughs> for advice on what's the best program to use. What does your informed consent look like? What do your forms look like? How do you? Do? Da, 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 da. So it was like it was it was great to, right. to be able to give back in that way, <laughs> and not say I told you so too much.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you go from a lot of that online therapy. And then into uh, let's let's talk about IDDM. Yeah, yeah. So next next iteration. Yeah, the next step out. Yeah, I was you know I was doing a
2: lot of therapy. We should tell them what IDDM stands Yeah, we'll for, we'll yeah. break that open. It stands <laughs> it's for it stands for Integrated Daily Dialogic Mentorship, and and it started from um, just a, hitting a wall of real frustration with the the secular model of how to do therapy. And anybody, Catholic or not Christian, anybody with a license is learning a secular model of how to do therapy. And that framework is developed by the organizations that are set up right now to, to dictate those things, and mostly managed by by reimbursement, by insurance companies. So you need to have a code, it's got to be a 45-minute session, or maybe a 60-minute session, and it has all these different you know ways of getting reimbursed. Well... I, I kind of felt at one point that I wasn't doing enough, and I hit a wall. And that's normal for every therapist to kind of feel that way at some point. But mine was driven by a deeper movement of reevaluating of, uh, reevaluating who I was working for, you know, why why I wanted to do this in the first place. So I kind of went back to the fact that I originally wanted to be a Franciscan. <laughs> you know, I was like, I had a vocation that I was discerning, to give my entire life to God. And then I deepened that discernment and realized that to give my entire life to God, he was actually calling me to marriage. And then I was discerning in that space to say, okay, I'm going to be married. I need a job. What would I do for gainful employment to support a family? I want to keep helping people. But that was my trajectory. And then you go to graduate school and you have to you have to go through these you know the gauntlet and social psychology will teach this itself it's like when you're a student when you're an underclassman you sort of give up your way of thinking about things and you just accept whatever is told to you from the organization mm-hmm. and so you can pass the tests and you can check the boxes and you can get all this stuff mm-hmm. so in that process for me this is for me i discovered that i had left behind my initial drive and vocational desire and where that was coming from just to sort of like get the approval of the apa get the approval of the state licensure all this kind of thing and then i just buried my head and i got to work and i was of course i'm bringing the faith into it i'm doing everything i can to be catholic but i i just kind of hit a point where i was like can i go deeper with this can i think about this uh, you know and and bring more and, and so I said if I start from scratch, how would Christ help people or want people to help people using the sciences So being aware of the psychological data but following him in the way that he showed us how to encounter others So long story short, that was that was the background to it and then we developed this different way to help people on a daily basis. I realized, christ actually comes to us which is the opposite of what i did as a therapist i sit in my office i have my waiting room you fit into my schedule you come out of your life and you drive to my office or you set up your computer and it's on my schedule like that's the opposite of how christ actually encounters us so how could i enter into somebody else's life instead of making them come to me and then you know, it would be on a daily basis or a frequent, more frequent basis than 45 minutes once a week.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when, when people give 45 minutes once a week to God, <laughs> usually the priests tell them, stop doing that. You know, faith is not supposed to be just a Sunday event. Your religion is not just about going to church. Right. You know, so like, I was like, but that's all we're doing for, for people. Like, this is the opposite of what our church actually teaches us. So, again trying to weave together using technology and really meeting people where they are and trying to let this be a channeling of God's grace that he's given me that I want to actually share with others. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why we developed how we developed
0: this new model. So how's the model work? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's go to the brass tacks of like what the heck. So is I give you this
2: in injection <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, and you become a polygamist. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, it's it's so what we do is we use we use an app that we have voice messaging. And so we've moved away from video, we've moved away from seeing somebody and we've moved towards focusing entirely on the spoken word. And what we've realized is within the context of wanting to heal, we open up more when we're listening or talking instead of getting almost distracted. By all the sort of physical things that are happening, you know, visibly. And a lot of times people's first question is like, that's so impersonal. Isn't that less personal? It's not really meeting somebody. And it's like, oh, just try it. (laughs) When you're actually in the midst of a conversation with somebody every day Mm -hmm. where you're opening up your deepest, darkest secrets, you realize how quickly it gets very personal. But what what we realize is that actually there's a lot of distraction that comes in through the door. When, when we see people. Mm-hmm. And this is not how we would teach people how to date, you know how to form a romantic relationship or a personal relationship, because there is something missing. But what you're doing in a therapeutic relationship is not trying to build a lifelong real relationship. You're trying to have a relationship ordered towards a particular goal, mm-hmm. which is to have the safety and security to open up these wounds, to let God's grace channel through that so that, you can be healed. And so in that case for that purpose we don't need to see each other. Well, I need to listen and understand what you're saying to me. And so the spoken word becomes the most important focus. Mm-hmm. And so we use this app. We have voice messaging back and forth. It's available every day. Mm-hmm. And 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 then we just get to work. So we have, you know, we work for a month at a time and and sort of people commit to doing this for a month and then maybe extend that. Mm -hmm. Ongoing, but but that's what it is. It's every day back and forth, and and uh, how long do you does it typically take for I don't know to see progress compared to like a a traditional model. So when I first started this, I took the patients I was already seeing, okay, and I and I let them. Were they afraid to do that? Um, Some of them had questions. Yeah,
1: I mean that makes sense. Anything new, right?
2: Yeah, anything new. Some of the some of the people less familiar with technology were reticent a bit about using an app. Yeah, yeah. And so and I had the benefit the first time around, I was in the office with with my patients and I was like, all right, like give me your phone. Let's let's do this right now. Like I I helped them load the app and I set up, you know, helped them set up their account and their username and all this stuff. And then we did it in the office. I was like, all right, I'm gonna press the button and I'm gonna speak and you're gonna hear it. And then vice versa, it was like a walkie-talkie app. Mm -hmm. And so, but yeah, after that, it was now we have all of our sort of onboarding Right. training and all that stuff set up so right but but the people that i was working with beforehand i i worked with those people with the new model and i saw mm. changes happen so much faster it was it was mind-blowing and it was so convicting for me right that right. at Naturally. first i was like i'm gonna just do this myself but after i did it for six months i realized i need to actually have my whole team doing this right because i can't i it's can't that much this more mind. effective it's that much more effective It's like somebody comes to me and says, I need help. It's like, okay, we can do this the really slow, grueling, long process (laughs) over the next two years. Right, right. Or we can help you really get to the heart of the issue in three months. Right. Like we shouldn't even be offering that choice. So, so that's where now we're we're just like, all right, we're gonna do really hard work to get to the deepest core of the issues, and I'm gonna actually really help you work through this. Do you want to sign up for that? And then, you know, people, and it's 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 intense. People that that's just awesome though. Check the box. Some people just want to say they go to therapy or like, yeah, I'm working on it. They should go to therapy for that. They- <laughs> There's an app for that. <laughs> but we 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 you know, we all resist dealing with our stuff. Yeah. And some people even use therapy to resist dealing with their stuff. We don't let that happen. So it takes time. We build a rapport, we make it easier, than harder, it's comfortable. But then it gets challenging and it it can be very uncomfortable because we're actually doing hard work. Right. Yeah. You
1: might have noticed a smirk on my face while you were talking before and it's because Father Sam likes to uh, bring up the show Love is Blind. So when you were talking about how you shouldn't – and I did, were you thinking about that? I was absolutely I thinking knew. of that. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. So I, I, I definitely like for 10 seconds was like, Father Sam watches, watched the show Love is Blind, once told me he would clean up on that game because of how good he is in confession. Not, <laughs> not those exact
2: words, but that was my, I was like, right, right. Okay. Back well, to therapy. Okay. So I, I saw the glances and I wondered, like, am I talking? No, too long? No, Are we no, no. <laughs> but because I wanted like... you to know that it wasn't that I was disinterested, it was that I was distracted. <laughs> because because <laughs> he knew exactly because what I, I knew playing. exactly what he was thinking so that makes a great co-host yeah. you okay. guys are on the same page yeah. Yeah. I, I unfortunately have never seen the okay, show it's the, not Bind. an unfortunate
0: the, way. the premise of love is blind it's trash it's absolute trash yeah okay like just let's, <laughs> I've also uh, never seen it just I'm, for the I'm, record uh, okay. yeah <laughs> look I couldn't help myself I saw I saw a commercial for it and I was like I need to watch <laughs> an episode of this show and it's it's I've never watched a dating show or anything like that before but this one I had to watch a <laughs> lot of disclaimers there <laughs> I, I, I feel Feel it's like I have guilt. to say it, but <laughs> so much guilt, so you're, much yeah, guilt. Yeah, you are talking look, to a therapist. Here, I know. So. Look, like, so what am I thinking right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh wait, wait, psychologist, not psychic. Right. Anyway. <laughs> No there's the it's it's so trashy and I'm like I'm a, I'm a priest I'm like why did I watch this but there's I had to okay because the premise is that they're <laughs> going to It was the telomere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was genetically predisposed to watch this television show. Uh, right. No the the premise is that they they take people uh and they put them in in separate rooms and they talk to each other through a wall they can't see each other and how long will it take them to fall in love so it's wow. like speed dating except without Uh, without actually seeing the person that you're talking to you've got to go talk to these people and then you decide that you want to talk to them again the next day and they go back and they talk to each other and it's like all this stuff and they're supposed to be opening up to each other and like getting vulnerable because they're not so much focused on their appearance or anything else they're just sitting in a room talking to each other um and it's it's outrageous but i was sitting there watching it going like i remember one person was talking and i'm like oh man that's a that's a, a really deep wound. That's a really bad habit that you've got that you're struggling with. And I'm like, I'm just thinking of it as a confessor sitting <laughs> on one side of a screen and listening <laughs> to people talk and being like, look over time it's, it's got nothing to do with like, I can't read souls or anything like that, but I I've learned how to hear certain things in a person's voice or how to hear certain phrases and recognize that they're really talking about something that's, that's deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or even like tones of voice. So, like there's this one girl and she's using this tone of voice. I'm like, you're trying to sound cute. Just, Use your regular voice. That's not your normal voice. You're you're disguising your voice. People do that in the confessional every once in a while. They try to sound different than they than they really are. They like people like to use really spiritual language about things, yeah. and they end up using it the wrong way, and it's hilarious. <laughs> but like, have you ever laughed at someone for that? No, but I've I've had <laughs> people every once in a while are like I can tell they're trying to clean up what they're. What they're confessing, like they, right. they want it to sound nicer. And I'm like, actually, it's better if you don't make it sound nice. Just, just say the thing, because right. by by kind of putting this this nice veneer on it, it's it's actually harder to get at the root of what's really You're using going like Thomistic language to yeah. describe right. it, like your proclivity to sin or exactly. whatever. <laughs> exactly. Well, my concupiscence <laughs> like, has really been getting the better of me. Yeah, but what concupiscence? My habitus has not been there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But there, there there's something so real about this. So in in this form of of mentorship and and discussion with people, yeah, that you're just listening to what they're saying. Yeah. It's it's true. I mean, this is why confession has has always been somewhat anonymous. Mm. That you you don't necessarily have to be completely anonymous. Like it's possible to go to confession, go behind the screen and for you to know the priest and for the priest to know you. Yeah. And that's that's perfectly all right. But there's there's something so helpful about that screen. Where it's not so much the focus on, like, I'm looking you in the eye, really having this personal contact. It's it's that on this side of the screen as the priest, my job is to really just listen to what you're saying and to to hear you. And then through that to allow God to speak so that he can start to work the healing that needs to happen in, in your life. And then in this mentorship, and having both been on the receiving end and now participating in it myself as a mentor, I can tell you, like there is progress that happens real fast. Yeah. Like really really fast. It's it's amazing to watch. Like I noticed things for myself talking with my mentor through this about like oh yeah. So just picking up on certain things that I hadn't really noticed about myself before and then being just more aware of things throughout the day and everyone's like going, I should probably talk to him about that. I, mean, I should I should leave him a message. <laughs> and then like forgetting to leave a message for 3 days also being like oh, I should really leave a message. It's been it's been days since I left a message for my mentor. And then being the mentor and being like, no, I have to make sure that I leave a message today, (laughs) like being more intentional, but also seeing something happening within the first week. And then you have a
2: client who doesn't
0: leave you a message
2: for three days and you're like, what are you avoiding? (laughs) I've
0: never avoided anything in my life. Uh, (laughs) Certainly not the fact that you watched Love is Blind, <laughs> but- <laughs> Look, that's now been broadcast on this podcast more than once. Twice, so. <laughs> twice. And the it's exact confessional
2: book. nature to yeah. this podcast is this, maybe just call this confession <laughs> instead of tangent. <laughs> that could work. That could actually work, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, but, no, this, but this that is, wouldn't work with us talking about Love is Blind in the middle of a scientific discourse, so, you know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's much more of a yeah. yeah you're right, yeah. you're right. <laughs> Tangential confessions.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Confessional yeah. tangents. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. You're on to something. You
1: might be a third host. That's it. That's, that's it. Yeah.
2: Well, I you know, I that's that's the thing. It's like getting people out of a therapy culture. You know, it's like everybody wants it's like becoming cool to talk about your therapist. Like I have a therapist, whatever.
3: Right. Yeah. But
2: so are you really doing the work? And then realizing like the model that we're offering is not gonna give people that sort of comfort of like, I have a therapist. I go once a week. I sit, I have get right. my Starbucks, you know, right before I go do yoga. And I sit in the office and I meet them and right. da da da. And then, you know, it's like all this other stuff. It's like, eh, it's a little bit too foofy. Yeah. So if 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 and Therapy's that's a technical not. word, foofy. That that's a that is a that's yeah. from the the psychological diagnostic manual. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. There's a code for that actually. Yeah. 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 the, the <laughs> DSM definitely has something about <laughs> foofiness. It's 501.32. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, so you know, it's it's going to be hard. Yeah. And that's the first level of resistance. You know, it's interesting. Like we'll we'll tell our whole story. We'll give everybody, we'll give somebody our whole background this is our foundation. I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. I have a license in four states. I have this whole program. I've done this for 10 years. I've trained 15 people. I've done da 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 and it's like, they're like, I want what you have. What do you do? Like, let sign me up. And I'm like, okay, so we, it's voice only. We use an app. And we're going to be available for you to work on your issues every day. And they're like, Oh, but that sounds really impersonal. I don't think I can do that. You know, it's like, wait a minute. I've just justified and legitimized this whole thing, like in all right. the ways possible. Yeah. But it's it's almost like too personal. Yeah. It's like, wait. I every day I'm going to work out. Nah, I didn't really want to sign up for that. Right. It's too hard. It's it's too I mean, much.
1: It, that that. I'm just thinking about it, and I'm saying, like, man, what a challenge. You know, like you you would be broken. So in in a good way, right? In order to be fixed, you got to get broken down first, right? And it it seems to me like you would just break down that person's trauma, right? Immediately. Like you, I mean, you said in the first week, I'm th- I'm, I, what I'm doing is I'm imagining myself going through this program. <laughs> I'm
0: like, I'm, I'm feeling the resistance. I'm like,
1: man, that sounds really hard.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think there, there is a challenge too, because it's like every day I've got to think of something that's going on. Um, or I've been asked to consider this point and so to now having thought about it, give my response. So right. like you, you've invited me to think about um, how this particular relationship that I had in my life has has continued to affect me mm-hmm. until now. So I've spent the last day thinking about that. Now it's time for me to tell you the conclusions that I've come to mm. based on that. Uh, and maybe it was a difficult conversation that I had to have with myself. <laughs> right. Maybe it was a difficult memory yeah. to process, right? And now I've gotta talk about it. And then I'm gonna to have to do that again tomorrow. Um, I think that the good thing with this is the time limit, that it's, it's not meant to be just like, yeah, we're gonna talk for hours today, and then we're gonna talk again for hours tomorrow. Yeah, it's, good point. You're talking for 15 minutes. So. Yeah, there's a limit. There's a
2: 15 minute right. limit on yeah. the day, on the message for the day. And yes, and so, and it's also like, you know, I think the other element of it too is, we, it can be really uncomfortable. It's part of that vulnerability, but it's really uncomfortable to actually be seen. You know, and if you think about it, like we all, we all imagine that we want people to see us and there are times that we feel unseen that those parts of us come up. It's like, but listen to me, but this is what I think, but listen, here's what I have to say. And it's usually when we feel unseen that the urge to be seen shows up but most of the time we actually don't want to be seen. And and all of a sudden now you're you're in this relationship where there's an expectation to show up and it is an expectation that I'm actually being seen. And so we have a lot of people that are like I don't really know what to say today. It's like that's okay. I'm still here with you. You don't have to talk about trauma every day. You're not talking about all the hard stuff every day. Yeah, right. Like not everybody has like all this trauma to talk about. Yeah. Right. But to be seen, this is this is what I wrestled with in that initial wall that I hit because I wasn't, you know, in in the therapy model, you have a 45 minute real time space that you give to a patient. And it's part of boundaries and self-care for a therapist to not think about that patient anymore outside of that time. Mm. You know, and if you think about it, I have a full schedule if I was saying seeing 30 clients, and all week long I'm seeing clients. Like it's really wrong for me to be seeing my Thursday 2 o'clock client on on Monday at 5 o'clock. It's like mm-hmm. I'm taking away from my Monday at 5 o'clock patient if I'm thinking about the other one. Right. So I have to block off time. And that means I'm actually only seeing my patient internally, externally, personally, interpersonally once a week for 45 minutes. Whereas in this model, I'm giving some time every day to everybody I'm seeing. And, and that's why we do have the limit of 15 minutes, but it's like still a, a daily uh, touch point. right? And that means somebody's actually being seen every day. Right. And I've had men and women tell me, you've listened to me more. Uh, I've, I've, There's a couple of people I've seen over a year, and, and I've heard this a couple of times now, where somebody's like, you've listened to me and talked to me more than my spouse for the last year. We've talked almost every day for a year and you know me better than my spouse does. Wow. and that is intense. Yeah, you know, but it's like that that's the space where this stuff comes out and, and all one year turns into five years really quickly when we're just avoiding, ignoring, not being seen, just going about business as usual, doing our patterns, our habits our, or whatever. Until until there's a fight, until there's a fall, until there's something that right. we're like, oh, I really got to work on this. But then the next day you're like back to right, whatever. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. But this is like, no, let's focus in. Let's do some hard work.
0: Let's open things up and like be serious about transformation. That's yeah. what we're here for. Yeah. Have you ever done the Ignatian spiritual exercises? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you go and you, if you do an eight-day, have you ever done the 30-day? I haven't done a 30-day. I want to do a 30-day so bad someday. Someday I'll do it. Can you explain it to someone who has never done it ever? Sure. Like a telomere, it's a— <laughs> <laughs> There's the, shorter ones and longer ones. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, that's actually literally true. So you have uh, the spiritual exercises. If you do an eight-day exercise, you're basically going through uh, some, some aspect of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And the idea would be that every day you meet with your director— So while you're on this retreat, you're meeting once a day with the director for a period of time and the director's kind of uh, walking you through the exercises. So each exercise comes with like a meditation that you're gonna do mm-hmm. and then some time to reflect. And then you're gonna be asked throughout the day uh, to reflect on this exercise and to do this in like take some time to pray at this time and then later on do another holy hour and pray this way um, using this exercise. And then tomorrow you come back and you talk about what the experience was like. And then the, the director might tell you to stay on that exercise and continue with it or might move you on to the next exercise. If you're doing the 30 day, uh, the idea is that you're going, to, going a little bit more uh, in a focused way through each day of the exercises, and then you can do what's called the 19th annotation, uh, which is uh, less, it's weekly that you're meeting with with a director, um, but you're committed to daily some kind of prayer and journaling and, and this, this mm. processing. Because um, as you're talking about this, what I was thinking about is how this could really impact spiritual direction it's great for, for mentorship and everything, but like what I find with the two clients that, that I've been talking with is that there's, because I'm a priest partly, there's this little bit of spiritual direction that's coming out as well. Uh, but I've also noticed in meeting with people while doing spiritual direction that a lot of the same principles very much apply, but spiritual direction maybe is once a month. Yeah. Uh, well, this is it. This is exactly right, and and in actually, so the third quarter, which you haven't yet started in the certification. No, I get to start that in Holy Week because you're so merciful to me that you'll you'll let me like start the the toughest part of the program like in Holy Week, which I, is a really relaxed time for most priests. You know, like I said, some people have
2: more suffering in life, and some people have less. So for all the family men out there, going yeah, yeah, and, yeah, we're, we're like, ah, oh, that's an easy week. Yeah, we. we <laughs> We're, we're, we'll make some okay, allowances fine for No, you. no,
0: no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Because then you're going to throw out that like, yeah, you have seven kids all the time and I've got yeah. Holy Week once a year. Yeah. No, let's compare apples to oranges, Greg. That sounds like a great idea. I didn't even think of that, Father.
2: So more confessional tangents over here.
0: Yeah, it's true. I,
2: our third level, our third quarter uh, spiritual concentration is the spiritual exercises. And so we actually break open... There's there's three concentrations through the certification. We have a psychology and anthropology and a spiritual concentration. And we we are essentially teaching spiritual direction. And so the the fourth quarter we we end with real tangible practical connections to real spiritual direction. But the third quarter before we get there, we're we're developing a sense of an integrated spiritual exercises. And so we go through the rules of Saint Ignatius and we apply all of this directly. Mm. And so in the second quarter, just to work backwards, if that makes sense, we, we're going into Catholic mindfulness, and so we learn how to be in the present moment, how to discover the movements of God within ourselves, and how to help other people be more in tune with the movements of God within them. And then the third quarter, we, we teach them basically how to translate the movement of God, like what is happening, and how do I make sense of this, how does this help me know Is this a spirit of consolation or desolation? Is this coming from the enemy? Is this coming from God, the Holy Spirit? So so this is all lined up in that same direction. And ultimately what we're doing here is we're saying like we we, we, want to avoid this false dichotomy between the body and spirit. And so psychology, which is historically something more emphasized around the body and science, has rejected the spiritual life. And we need to bring it both back together, but not just theoretically. It's like, how do we actually be facilitators of God's grace in this world and help other people? And should we have psychological expertise? Absolutely. And biological expertise
0: and spiritual expertise. And we can actually walk with people the way that Jesus would. So, can you see this being applied to spiritual direction? Like, spiritual directors using basically the same. The same basic methodology, yeah, like daily conversation with their directees, hundred percent, at least for a period of time. For a period of time, and
2: so the, the the we make a distinction between the model and the method, and what we say is we've developed a model. It's called the the CP Map, the Catholic Psych model of applied personalism. It's more jargon, but it's philosophical system of John Paul II. It's the thing that gave us the theology of the body. So, personalism applied is how we walk with people. It's our model of how to apply personalism to walking with people. However, everybody is going to be walking with people in different ways. So, what we do as therapists might be different than what a priest does as a spiritual director, and it's different from what a teacher does as a teacher, but all three can benefit from the model Mm. because we're understanding the blueprint of the human person. Our model is saying, here's what we have deciphered, have unpacked through the lens of John Paul II, how a person is created, the blueprint of the human person, how a person is wounded which we learn through psychology and make sense of with spirituality, and then how to heal the person, walking them back towards the destiny that God has created us for. So that is the model. And that's both psychology and spirituality? And spirituality. Okay. And so so all three concentrations work together throughout the whole program. So what happens is somebody comes into the program, and the second half, third and fourth quarters, I work personally with every every student to come up with their capstone. And the capstone is essentially a business plan or a missionary plan for how you're going to use this model in your life. Mm. And so the question of like, how would you implement this in spiritual direction, that will come up in capstone. Mm. And then, or it's, you know, we've talked about other manifestations of that. Ways to use the certification, maybe supporting other priests. Maybe some people in the program want to support marriage preparation programs. Mm. I've got people that want to do campus ministry. I've got people that want to do prison ministry. There's a wow. wide range of saying, where can this blueprint of the human person become effective? And and really, I mean, this, this needs to be in seminary formation, and it needs to be in the, the mental health services that are offered through the church. And my, my vision and dream is to have every parish have a mentor. Just like you have a director of evangelization or youth ministry, mm-hmm. you can also have a, a parish mentor and somebody that you could go to to and the Protestants have been doing this for years. Yeah, I was just saying evangelical superchurch mega churches have have this already. Yeah, but we can develop this from a real Catholic model and then apply it in a methodology that makes sense within the parish community. Wow, hmm.
0: so I'm who, speechless. <laughs> who's who's the certification for then?
2: Uh, it's really for anybody. I mean, it's, it's really anybody who, you know, the, our, our lingo or language around it is basically anybody who's bearing the mental health burdens of others in their life or work. So we, we, and that's why I say the capstone could be a business plan. Like I can teach people how to make money with this right? and you can actually hang a shingle as like a mentor. And we've already jumped through the hoops legally, ethically to make sure you're staying within your lane. You're not pretending to do therapy. You're not pretending to be a therapist. So that's really super important. Um, but also for for ministry and missionary work, so that if we if you have a ministry plan, it's like here's how we're going to implement it. Not necessarily because we need to make money with it, but it needs to serve the church. So you know, I've worked with like Culture Project or Focus or the other kinds of missionaries, right. or you know in, in teachers in general. Uh, I think that the whole line of work is obviously missionary work. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And so learning how to apply this in the way that the classroom is run. The way you deal with issues that come up in the school system, and then we have people that are just parents who know that they have to bear the the, the burdens of their children and, and help form them in the most healthy way, and that's that's helpful for them. So we we do have some people that are just doing it for their own uh, their own growth, professional, personal development, and right. and understanding. Hmm. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we we have very limited cohorts. We we only bring in uh, a few people at a time. So every quarter we start, we open it up for 10 people. And that's because we do walk very personally with right. everybody who signs up. I have nobody's figured this out yet. I have at least I haven't had anybody sign up for this reason yet. But the cost of mentorship that you get is that that you get as part of signing up to be a student of the program would otherwise be almost 10 times the actual cost of the program <laughs> so so the cost of the program is is nothing compared to even just the mentorship component no. of it right so but we are taking our mentors away from other mentorship work that they do so we can only do a small number of students at a time right um but then and then and then i'm going to be walking with people in that capstone capacity and mm-hmm. and so it's it's just a matter of sort of discernment finding the right fit finding the right people who are ready to start at the right time but yeah, we're, we're really excited to be able to take this next step. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the Lord's really working. You know, like, I don't know, anytime you see, like, that—anytime that, that anytime you see large growth and also the big dream that goes with it, mm. that's that's always been a sign yeah. to me that, mm. you know, Jesus is making his presence known. Yeah,
2: yeah I that's why I've, I really overemphasize. I like to remind people over and over again, I actually don't know what I'm doing. I really have no As a idea what I'm doing. As I, a
1: businessman. I, I
2: mean, and basically- From a psychological basically perspective. Basically anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, psychologically, I do have some expertise. Yeah, yeah. but you building know stuff, building this business. <laughs> His is, real name is Doctor. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't actually know what I'm doing when it comes to like our business plan. Right. People say like, "Oh, what is your?" I've been asked for my business plan. Right, right, right. You know, it's like I I don't think I even know what that is supposed to look like. Right, never everyone right. have one that I right. could pretend to hang on. But the business plan is follow the Holy Spirit. That's, right. That's, yeah.
1: Well, that, it's funny because you know you were talking about how. Um, you were talking about how y- using the Ignatian spirituality, you're kind of, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, right, you're trying to teach individuals how to follow the Holy Spirit. Right. And what came to mind when you said that was friend of the show, Crystalina Evert. Mm. Um, <laughs> one said that she uh, she goes wherever the Holy Spirit directs her. And in that moment, I said to her, "Will you please teach me how to do that?" And she did, partially so i'm gonna ask you will you please teach me how to do that right what is what does that mean <laughs> we have a whole certification for it <laughs>
0: you're gonna have to sign up that. sorry <laughs> you're gonna sign up for the I'll course all right fine <laughs> yeah because grad school isn't enough we're gonna yeah, have to grad school have a two jobs <laughs> <laughs> i was I'm just talking to one David, of our but... students
2: yesterday he told me he said that I, he's really excited about finishing up and he said this is like one of the greatest compliments he said he's He's more excited and it will will feel more accomplished and realize that this is more meaningful for him than his masters that he he got and went. Right. So
1: my master's is from Franciscan. It's in it's in theology. (laughs) So I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just saying I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna
2: judge the two of them. I, 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 as Franciscan's my alma mater, so
1: I, yeah, yeah. I'm,
2: so I'm sure it's, You had Scott Hunt, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend of the show, Scott. Friend Hahn. of the show, yeah. Of Uncle show. Scott, I'm, as I would, yeah. <laughs> but it, I, I, this is this is where we start with is first of all learning how to listen to what's going on internally. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what? And, <laughs> <laughs> he said internally.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, right. <laughs>
2: but i think externally too i know you're still thinking about love is blind over here. <laughs> i
1: can't
0: so. get it out of my
2: head now <laughs> if you can just tune in here for a minute just focus <laughs> we 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 have so much noise so many shows running through our brains i know and so At much con- so much that that it's it's really the model of elijah going into the cave and we let the storms go through and we find the still small voice inside so that's really catholic mindfulness is about how to turn in dial in to whatever's happening internally in the present moment. And then the second half of that is really discerning, making sense of it. So we get all sorts Mm. of movements in us. If we're paying attention, number one, we have to pay attention. I want to interrupt. How do you, how do I, yeah, well, no, but so,
1: I would say I'm undiagnosed ADD. Okay. And by that, I mean my uncle's a doctor and I once said to him, can I, will you run a test on me? And he said, I don't have to, you have ADD. And I was like, okay, fair enough, you know? but Sounds how do like you diagnose? Right, yeah, I guess. Right. It was fairly informal. We were in his living room. Um, how do you like, like that paying attention that is difficult for me. Yeah. Paying attention is difficult for me. You can ask my wife. I forget everything. Yeah. Right. Renee,
0: is that true? <laughs> yeah. She's nodding over there. Producer Renee's in the, is Producer in the, Renee's
1: right in the yeah. she's in the big chair. Um, <laughs> Right. But so paying attention is just, it's just intrinsically difficult. Yeah. Right. And I like to think that the Holy Spirit meets me where I'm at. When Like like he just gives me big punches sometimes to mm. go in a certain direction because he knows that if it's over the course of time, I'm going to miss it. Mm. Um. But, you know, considering you're an expert in psychology, um, how do I follow the Holy Spirit if the first step is paying attention and that is just hard?
2: Yeah. So again, the first step still is the, the first step, right. even if some people have shorter attention. Right. What telomeres. is it? What's the word? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I was sorry. You were uh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. You were jumped ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. You were it's paying okay. attention. Yeah. 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 So That's, you're, you're super dialed <laughs> in right here. Yeah. yeah. That, like ADD or not, again, we have biological decks of cards that we're, right. were, were handed and our hand, we have to play as it's given to us. So, for you to even be dialed in enough to make that joke. Right. Like you're in, you're dialed in. The Holy in. Spirit was your, behind your Holy, that joke. Your, your Holy so. Spirit attention is yeah. uh, is is on point. So right. if we, we still have to see the same paradigm. And of course the Holy Spirit meets us where we're at. Yeah. And so he's going to give big punches and he's going to give subtle whispers. Right. And for different people at different times and for the same person at different times, different ways. But what we want to still see that is is it's, As opposed to the distractions and the noises, and we have to see that there's the presence of God was transcendent, and and there is a capacity that every single one of us has, regardless of our biological hand of cards, Mm -hmm. to to go to the deeper thread Mm -hmm. and to go to that deeper level. So tuning and what we've also and I kind of alluded to this earlier, and I actually gave the example of ADD, not knowing no fair enough, Yeah, yeah. But, like, that can become a distraction in itself. It could become a part of our defense mechanism. Right. Mm. It could become an excuse. Right. It could become the, the, the scapegoat. Right. Where it's like, I'm not able to pray. I have ADD.
1: Well, I, like,
2: I, I mean, for me, it's a source of frustration.
1: And it can be. You know, that, that d- would this fall under Catholic mindfulness, right? Yeah. I know two things. I know God speaks to me through beauty. Mm-hmm. And I know that my spiritual director says the thing I need to hear every time. Mm. For for whatever reason, Father Joseph Gill, right? He's the the host of Restless, right? Veritas Catholic Radio. You should listen to Restless, Father Joseph. We are waiting for you to <laughs> shout us out. It's been like six or seven so many times. times we've
0: mentioned Restless, but and he but doesn't, the Im- like like we don't exist. In. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't listen. He is not a fan of the show,
1: nor a friend of, <laughs> nor the, a show, friend of the show. <laughs> but he is my spiritual director. He's a friend to both uh, of us. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, not a yeah, friend yeah. of the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but he really does. He hits it on the head so often. You know, to the point where like I've, and, and oftentimes it's in, it's in confession, you know, but I've walked out and I've said like, man, like I've said it to Renee so many times, like he just nailed it. It was exactly what I needed to
2: hear. So would Catholic mindfulness be just me recognizing that? So here, l- let's back up another, th- another step because you also mentioned beauty. Sure. So I think the first thing to say is we, we want to, uh, to, to clarify and dispel mi- misconceptions about what paying attention actually means great okay because <laughs> great i need this <laughs> because if you're sitting there thinking about some buddhist monk on the edge of a cliff right a cross-legged with his fingers touching and you know, are yeah. oming or whatever like right. that's not it right and which it's is, just which like is the, the misconception Catholic version about mindfulness right that's the misconception yeah. and it's also not yes exactly so and that's why i'm saying like right now you're dialed in and like your, your mind might be racing, and you might be going in a bunch of different directions, mm-hmm. but you're paying attention. So what does paying attention look like? It doesn't look like somebody who can just sit still forever. Mm-hmm. It does. It, what it means is that you're connected to what's actually happening in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And beauty, if you have a proclivity towards and a, a sensitivity and receptivity to beauty, you're automatically, you're describing being plugged into the transcendent.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you're you're on another plane already, which is the plane that a lot of people, because maybe they don't have the same sensitivity to beauty, have to just take breaths and quiet down and enter into mm-hmm. that space. Mm-hmm. And then they go to that depth that other people are already immersed in. And they're walking around immersed in beauty. And they're and they're sort of composing out of their life because they're receiving the Transcendent truth of the world around them, and they're putting out the fruitfulness of that interaction through beauty. Whereas the goal of mindfulness, Catholic mindfulness, mm-hmm. is to get out of the exercises and get back into your life. So, and I tell I teach our students this in the beginning, you have to do these exercises, and most students avoid them. Is this in your book, Catholic? Yeah, it's in the book, The okay. Mindful Catholic, okay. and it's this is I have an online course. Right. Um, there's something called the Catholic Mindfulness Virtual Retreat. Okay. And so you could go to catholicpsych.com slash store, I think. Right. And you can find all this stuff on there. Okay. Um, and we start with these really sort of, uh, you know, technical exercises. And the point is then, like, you graduate from that. Like, mm-hmm. like, the first week, first eight weeks is just to teach you how your mind works. But then you're supposed to plug right. back into your regular life. Right. So so you're realizing now it's actually more about connecting and in the middle of the course I teach you like it's about connecting with people. Hmm. How do you listen to somebody else, actually understand what they're feeling and enter into their experience? Realizing that inadvertently we are more thinking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. so that's an example here it's like you're in a you're in a conversation with somebody else let's say you're I just did it <laughs> with your, you did it with I me. just
1: did it yeah I'm sorry <laughs> you're, you're in a different world right now yeah yeah you know, I well I did just say already. I have a I'm
2: talking so. too long so clearly like I'm not holding your attention but no that's not it <laughs> we, 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 we can we, we can learn especially when you have like let's say it's your wife it's somebody right. that you really love and you guys are fighting about something like that, that obviously that doesn't happen to, to you guys but yeah yeah this happens to me my wife. Uh, <laughs> so we're fighting about something, and then I'm thinking about the, what I think about what she said. Mm. And I'm more concerned and focused on my interpretation or how I'm going to prove her wrong. Mm-hmm. She doesn't remember my comment correctly. And so she's upset because maybe she misheard me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just waiting to correct her. And that's mm-hmm. my interpretation. That's my feeling. That's what I'm thinking. So I'm taking myself out of being in her presence and paying attention to her and how she feels. So that's mindfulness. It's like, how do I actually learn how to pay attention to what else is happening here mm-hmm. besides the stuff that's just on autopilot working through me? So whether, when, if you're sitting with father Gill and he's giving you some insight and you have a sense that this is really important, you have a movement Something is telling you, this is really important. This is insightful. This is meaningful. You're you're tuned in. Right. You're right. paying, you are paying attention. That is that paying attention. That is the, the paying attention to the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you might be sitting there with Father Gill and then, you know, somebody else might be sitting with him, and they're just, like, thinking about dinner, cheese doodles. love is a blind, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're waiting for the cheese next doodles. episode, <laughs> they can't wait to see what happens. Did you say cheese doodles? I did say cheese doodles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheese doodles. <laughs> Maybe really That wasn't what I was
1: tempting. thinking about. <laughs> just confess the sin of gluttony. Right. i yeah. really like those cheese doodles. so Double bags. What's not to like? Yeah. 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 So but hey, that- you watch Love is Blind. I'm <laughs> <No, no>, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so sorry.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't even eat cheese doodles that often. Please bring
2: us back
3: I, to this I, conversation. I, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: Can you? Is that possible? I'm thinking of the
0: bottle of cheese whiz now.
2: I've gone off in a whole nother direction. I mean, this is terrible. Yeah. Goof
0: Troop, the Goofy movie. What? <laughs> Goofy's son in Goof Troop is a huge fan of the cheese whiz stuff. Yes. His best friend is like is yeah. constantly eating cheese whiz. Yeah. We Plus are called that. the tangent. This wow. Definitely. Yeah. this is definitely on another. Well, level. all right. Yeah. I I want to say that that you I've seen you actually put this into practice. I've seen you put it into practice in, in your home, and I've seen how you've taught your children this practice. So there's one day I was, I was visiting you guys, and uh, you and Barbara had a little disagreement. And I watched you guys as you were just mindful, and you were articulating clearly what you were trying to say, what, what needed to happen. And it was like, it was the most amazing conflict I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it, was, it was, honestly, I was like, I, I walked away going, that was beautiful. That was really a beautiful thing to witness because I don't I don't remember what it it was not we, a, a, we, it was all think, it, we put that out there for you just just so, just so I that. could it see was just it that kind one of out there. of a hundred times yeah <laughs> but it was like it was this this thing where you 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 weren't understanding each other and then you just both clearly said what you were trying to say
2: again when you're there things work so much better if you could just hang out
0: more. <laughs> I'm glad that you think it was because I was there that you guys did this, but I'm convinced that it had to do with like your presence, but I've seen this happen with your kids too where like something's bothering them uh, or they're upset about something and they just articulate everything about why they're upset. Yeah. Like you've taught them how to say, "No, tell us what you're feeling and yeah. tell us why you're feeling that way or tell us what's going on and and, yeah. and what do you what are you trying to do?" And it's okay if you don't know why you're upset. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, and it, it what that's that's
2: the the disposition and the goal, and that's why it goes beyond this sort of like Buddhist illusion mentality of what mindfulness is, because it's really like how to be more present with people, how to be in, in communion.
1: What is the Buddhist notion?
2: Well, it's just like emptiness, it's just right. like well, so this it's, tranquility, okay. it's just and it's all about life. It's outside as of self. To taking things in. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like even if you're just taking in, it's like, what are you taking in? For what purpose? What's the goal? You know, and it's not just like self development and fulfillment in some sort of than aimless way.
1: Selfless, sorry, it's more than simple self awareness. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's self awareness for a goal. Like there's a reason, a purpose. The Does telos, that goal change? It's always God. It's always God. It's always love. Right. Okay. It's always communion. That's the point. It's mm-hmm. like how do we connect? How do we be in relationship? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Vertical, so, horizontal. Ver- exactly. Yes. Hundred percent. You just I'm put tuned your finger in. right on it. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> this is wow. I yet another reference to Doctor Scott on.
2: <laughs> I, I literally show an animation of bevel gears, which is like a horizontal gear that moves a vertical gear okay. to explain this. And it's like yes, because. When we go out of ourself, when we're present to another person and we're receiving another person, mm-hmm. we're actually vertically transcending and being in relationship with God. Right.
1: I mean, it's the cross, right? It's it goes up and it goes sideways. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. So so being tuned in has a goal, which is, we yes, we become the best version of ourselves. Yes, we are fulfilled in that sense because we're made to be saints, which is to be in the communion of saints. So yes, that is true mm-hmm. that we are becoming happier. We are becoming more at peace. We are becoming fulfilled. Right. But not as an end in itself. Right. The end in itself is to become who God created us to become, and it also happens to be the case that it makes us happy. Right. Yeah. You know. What, he, what he, a and he made us that. Co- way. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was gonna say what a wonderful coincidence, but it's not. He made us to feel good about being good. Right. And that's like so. That's our register, the compass, the yeah. the the sort of alarm system. When we start to feel crappy about ourselves. Right. It's like maybe we should look at why. Right. You know, and what's missing, and it might not be sin per se. Mm-hmm. But it could be the effect of sin. It could be the effect of other people's sin. It could be that's where the psychological discord comes in. It mm. could be trauma. It could be misalignment. Right. It could be defense mechanisms. Is it could trauma be just the
1: experience
2: of someone else's sin upon you? I, that's one way to look at it. Right. And that's why even think about it, even entering the world concupiscence and original sin, we always say that it also affected nature. right? And isn't it interesting we talk about trauma? Sometimes trauma is at the hands of nature. Mm. we have natural disaster trauma right you know volcanoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and all this stuff it's like so it doesn't have to be another person that has caused the trauma it could be nature but both can point to sin entering the world right from a theological perspective Mm. yeah when someone comes to you with uh
1: a natural disaster trauma and they have blamed god Mm. how do you traverse that
2: situation yeah i mean that's that's Ultimately it doesn't have to be just a natural I mean, right, ultimately yeah, sure. it's every trauma right, people right. so you, you you ultimately have to and this is why I don't know how anybody could practice this field outside of a Catholic perspective, right. honestly. Like it blows my mind. And obviously it, it's not done well when it's not right. embedded within a Catholic framework. Right. You know, your symptom reduction. Take a pill, feel a little bit better about yourself. Right. Practice this mantra, feel right. a little bit better it's like about a yourself. Instead whatever instead of a Exactly. Sure. So they're never permanent solutions. The only way any of us can make sense of any trauma is by realizing that God entered into our trauma, and then and then he suffered the worst trauma, which is the death that all of us have to suffer, and he overcame it. So the point is the resurrection points us all past it. It's like, what's the worst? And this is what we teach in our certification. Every defense mechanism, every personality disorder, every negative psychological experience— all actually flows out of our deepest fear of death. We have a death anxiety. And so this is way too complex to get into, but really simply speaking, we have a survival instinct, which every cell of our body is operating to live hmm. and survive. And then we have a reality of death that every, that at some point we realize happens. So like what, how do you deal with the fact that every cell of our body is oriented towards stay alive and then we confront the fact that every single one of us is going to fail that project. So we, we start off from a place of making a compromise with reality where it's like, I'm not going to think about that. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously in our psyche, we compromise with reality and we say, you know what? I'm going to act as if, think as if, believe as if I'm not going to die. I'm going to ignore that fact because it's too contrary to every cell in my body's desire. Once we've compromised the most obvious and basic fact of every single human person's life and the, the, the dealing with that reality, everything else is up for grabs. Hmm. We can pretend like we're greater than we are. We can pretend like people love us. We could pretend like people hate us. We could pretend like we're so distracted that we actually can't pray. We could pretend like, you know, on and on and on and on. Literally everything under the sun mm-hmm. can become up for grabs in terms of compromising with reality. So the only way to ever get to a place where we can make sense of our mental health is if we receive the truth of the resurrection. It's the antidote, it's the solution to the deepest fear. So every cell in our body is afraid of death. We recognize that death happens. We shut down because we don't want to deal with that reality until we develop a spiritual maturity. And then we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back to that thing again. You're afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Mm -hmm. Not because you're not going to die, but because Jesus overcame death. Right. And if you follow him, that's your answer. Right. You can overcome death. Now you can give real peace to every cell in your body that has a survival instinct. And by the way, it's resurrection of the body. Right. Because that fear is coming from the body. And that death anxiety is happening in the body. So there's only one resolution to that.
1: I was anxious while you were talking about death, and then you said the word resurrection, and I was like, ah.
2: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you, felt, you felt
1: the whole yeah, story. Yeah, I really it did, is. yeah.
2: That's, that's There's mentorship there right
1: is. there. We did it. In,
0: <laughs> we did it. This we program it. is great. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that with talking about like that death anxiety, I remember first reading that and going, that doesn't make any sense. I've never like- no, like, it, don't tell me that just because I was nervous one time, I was anxious about dying. I was just nervous about this other thing. But then you realize how the weight that we give to the daily activities that we have—that if I don't succeed in this, um, I mean, how often do we think if if I don't succeed in this activity, if I don't pass this test, if I don't get this promotion, um, my life is over. Yeah, right. like right. we we basically attach not literal death to it, but right. like death of career, death of like everything else that we've ever hoped yeah. for. So actually that death anxiety thing actually makes a heck of a lot more sense when I'm like, oh wait, no, that's why they're talking about it because it's not that my life is actually in danger, it's that I'm, I'm taking this experience now, and I'm attaching such a significance to it that I'm causing myself to have this anxiety. Right. And so, like, I've got to learn how to recognize. Oh, yeah, this is important, but just because it's important doesn't mean that my life is in danger. This is
2: a thing. Like, think exactly.
0: So, if you if you're afraid of losing I put your put my job, finger on it. You put it, your you finger say? right on <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> if you put if you one if, for me,
2: Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had to ask
1: for yours.
0: That's job. true. <laughs>
2: if if you if you are afraid that losing this job it, your life is going to be over it's like why are you not afraid of when your life is actually going to be over like why is that not what you're afraid of today right because we've we've compromised that reality it's like oh i don't need to think about that that's way far ahead that's like far too far away for me to have to yeah. be anxious about that but it's the thing that's giving context to every other reason you have to be anxious about the things are happening today mm. until of course you cross midlife you get a cancer diagnosis somebody close to you dies and then you're like oh no this is actually going to happen right and then it starts and then when people are on their deathbed or in that last stretch of life they're like i can't believe i was so wrong about what i thought was important all these things were not life and death because life is life and death right it's yep. like, oh, I could have just like skipped work. I could have spent more time with my kids. I could have spent more time with my spouse. I could have taken the extra vacation. I could have whatever, whatever. And, and that's, that's the confrontation with the reality of death. And so that is really actually underneath all of our other problems. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I remember I, I went to Father Joseph uh,
1: and talked about this anxiety I was having about this particular issue. And his response to me was, Matt, where's your peace? Why isn't your peace in Christ? right and so just like the underlying anxiety is uh, is that fear of death and the peace to that anxiety is the resurrection yeah even in like even in this very practical sense where's your peace okay my peace is in Christ okay it it gets rid of that underlying issue and it as a result it also gets rid of that proximate issue
0: yeah you blew my mind there, there it is <laughs> wow one of the things with uh with the catholic mindfulness is all right the First, just that, that awareness in the present moment and how relaxing that becomes. You do the mindfulness exercises, like the body scan, fell asleep for like the first three days that I was doing that exercise. Yeah. It was it was rough um, because I'm trying to I'm trying to do the exercises. I keep falling asleep
2: doing the exercise. But you're like, so far ahead doing the exercises already. If you're sitting down to do the exercises, it's okay. If, <laughs> <laughs> I tell students all day, it's to fall asleep. That's great. At
0: least I know you're doing the exercises. But it's like <laughs> Just for, well, finding the time to do the exercises, honestly, that was like the biggest challenge at the beginning was like, I've got to find time to do it. And then once I found time to do it and really, okay, I can, I can make this happen. Then I started to really actually experience just some daily peace with it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I found, I found myself calming down, but one of the most important aspects of it that really uh, has stuck with me and has been something that I've been able to apply is the idea of just being aware of what's going on without judgment and being aware of what's happening without judgment because so often as I become aware of whatever it is that's going on, like whatever it is that I'm thinking or feeling, I think that the most natural move that we have is to start blaming ourselves for it mm-hmm. or getting upset about it. Like I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should be feeling better. I should be okay. I shouldn't be upset. I should, I should be calm, but I'm not I'm not calm right now. And then we get more worked right. up right. because we're not feeling calm or something like that. We're criticizing ourselves for not being calm. And then as we're criticizing ourselves, we're like beating ourselves up. Right. And then we start getting defensive to ourselves. So it's just like this civil war going on right in our hearts. Yes. Um, and what a mess that makes of it. But then like I've talked to people about this in in mentorship. We just want to acknowledge what's happening. This, this doesn't make you a bad person. This doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Just w- what are you feeling? What What's the experience right now? And I want you to know that it's it's okay to just examine what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. To examine what's going on in your mind and in your heart and recognize it, let's just name it. Mm-hmm. No judgment attached at all. And then we can start to work on it. Then we can start to talk about what, what that means and, and what might be a good way to address it instead of getting into that place where oh, i'm not supposed to feel this way i should yeah. be i should be more patient and i'm not patient enough or i should be more like this and then i'm realizing like that's 90% of confession yeah right in in the sacrament that's that's what you hear all the time is like i'm not praying enough or i'm not attentive enough when i go to mass or i'm not doing this enough and so it's it's beating yourself up about these things and it's it's not even a specific sin that's been articulated yet mm. it's just this general sense of i ought to be something that i'm not right now and i was but what did you do? Let's talk about the thing that actually happened. You know wh- What was the thing that, that you actually did? And then we can start to work on, all right, how do you become more attentive or how do you become more patient or whatever the virtue is that you're looking for, right? And it's been really interesting seeing how that how that works, that just recognizing what's going on first without judgment so that you can be aware of it. And then you can start, like, especially when it's a moral issue, then you can start judging yourself for like your moral failings. That's okay. Like, that's that's part of Catholic spirituality. Like, we have to be able to say, I I failed in this regard. Okay. Yeah. But first, w- what happened? Like, take the take the big view without any kind of judgment. We're just observing what's what's going on. This is this is the reality of, of what happened. And it's it's amazing because I've I've noticed that happening just in, in my own life. Like, oh, all right, I'm starting to get worked up because. The following things went wrong today, and now I'm at this point in the day, and I've had to deal with trying to fix things or just stresses that I wasn't expecting, and now in this moment, totally unrelated things are happening. Somebody who has no idea what the day has looked like for me just asked me a question, and it's a perfectly rational, meaningful question that they're asking because they would like information. And it's information that they are entitled to and that they're not a bad person as, as they're asking me that question. But all this other stuff that I dealt with today has led me to this point where that one question is the last thing that I need. Oh, that's why I'm upset. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. So that's what happened. So without judgment, I can do that. And then I can say, yeah, but I kind of snapped the answer back. So maybe I need to go apologize for the way that I answered. It's like, it's, it's really cool. Mm. It's really cool to right. see that how that how that works. Mm.
1: And again, with that in mind, right? You recognize that the t- the telos, right, is
0: charity. Mm. Yeah. So wow. telomere actually was the. Oh no, sorry. Telos is a different thing. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> same etymology though. Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> right,
1: there <you> go, Yeah. <laughs> now I want to divert the conversation. Okay. Because <laughs> on your Instagram account, you talked about how you will be publishing plays from John Paul II. Oh, yes. So I want to talk about why you're excited about that. <laughs> why wouldn't I be excited about that? <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> well, so, I mean, from the perspective of, of what you do professionally, right, it's obvious why John Paul II would have such a big impact on mm-hmm. you, right, with this. Uh, I See, the thing is, I, I guess maybe I just had such a um, shallow understanding of theology of the body Right. Like I didn't, I didn't think about it psychologically. Okay. You know, now do these plays reveal, I don't, I don't know anything about the word personalism, right? You said it's a philosophy that he, I don't know if he inaugurated it or something or if he like created it. Right. But it's his philosophy. Does it reveal his personalism or so like, like, is it connected to Catholic psych intrinsically?
0: I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Cause actually when I was assigned to read the jeweler shop, I was like, why, <laughs> why, why am I reading a play? And then it actually started to make sense when you're like, Oh, uh. I
1: mean, listen at Cardinal Kung. So I've, I've used, I've used Tolstoy during health class. Right. So like, I'm no, I'm no foreigner to the idea of like literature, getting something across,
2: you know, but I don't know. So I, I mean, we could we could really do like another three hours on this, right? Okay, so we don't probably have shouldn't. Yeah. I want to respect like your time. Super, super yeah. exciting for me. Like I'm like giggly, geeking out, nerdy on awesome. stuff. So, would you say you are foofy? I would. No, <laughs> no this is no, far this from foofy. foofy. Far from foofy. <laughs> okay, too much I have misunderstood the term yeah.
1: foofy. Okay,
2: <laughs> foofy is like superficial. This is like Oh, this is the opposite. This foofy. is as serious. And right, okay. as, as, as heavy As sorry for as suggesting foofy as a descriptor. So all, yes, all, all, John Paul II's personalism, there's different people who use that word, but he's articulated a very specific manifestation of it. He, for, for any philosophy people out there, okay. he marries together Thomistic uh, metaphysics and philosophy yeah. with a contemporary kind of philosophy called phenomenology. Right. So he brought he basically brings the tradition of the church into the 21st century, 20th and 21st century. Mm. And he did so by actually being really inspired by beauty. <laughs> and so beauty was really his first heart sort of movement and he in high school and and it was was in drama and he did plays and he loved to express ideas through the drama of the theater and the spoken word and he would take these really high abstract concepts and and put them into moments of a, a dramatic experience. Mm. And so we can see in his work in his twenties the philosophical foundations that that grew into love and responsibility and then theology of the body. Mm. And then beyond that, his whole ecclesiology, everything he did as Pope, right, in terms of how to evangelize the purpose of the church, what it is to be a body of Christ, his understanding of subsidiarity and solidarity, the way that he talked about political events, the way he talked about the feminine genius and understanding the plight of women in the last 20th century, all like on and on and on. Everything was a fruition of his personalism. Mm-hmm. And in his plays, we see the beginnings of his personalism. Wow, cool. So he's got two that are very philosophical. One is called Our God's Brother, mm-hmm. and the other is called The Radiation of Fatherhood. And Our God's Brother is about an artist who's an, an actual character from Poland, Adam Szmielski. I think that's probably a mispronunciation. Fair enough. But. Yeah. And, and in the play, and this is real life, what happened, he, he is wrestling with the purpose of art. He's a painter. There's riots happening around the city because of political unrest. There's is happening in Poland. And long story short, it goes from his his sort of like high class, high society cocktail party with other artists at these art shows to wrestling with the meaning of poverty. And then he, he meets these homeless people. And then he actually gives up his life to follow Christ and becomes a, a monk or a brother out on the street. Mm-hmm. So the last scene, you see this alleyway where there was a bunch of homeless people, and now the whole thing is swept and cleaned up, and there's a crucifix at the end of the alley, and the brothers now are all in the religious order that, he, that this guy started, hmm. and they're sleeping in bunks built into the alley. And this is a true story of a saint named Bro- St. Brother Albert. Wow. So St. Albert was canonized by JP2. hmm and he, he who and it's about a person that he wrote a play about in his twenties. Wow. So it's like the coolest story. But then you, you read and you unpack this. It's the whole thing is about man's search for destiny and who we're called to become. Everything JP2 said was become who you are. So each of us has a story of our own sainthood in the making. And and so he literally wrote out the play of Adam turning into brother Albert. And it's like here Adam is the art. Adam is the masterpiece. It's like, it's like a chiseling uh, a statue out of a block of marble, and God is the artist but works with us. So we are collaborating with God, who is the master artist, but we are doing the chiseling ourselves to become the end result statue that we're made to become this is all his philosophy this is all his theology this is what this is why theology of the body is so important because it's like all right what is that how does that happen in marriage how do, how does a married couple become who they're called created to become in the image of God who is communion of love and that so that has particular implications how does it what does this mean for artists there's he wrote a, a letter to artists and he talks about that formulation for artists he mm-hmm. talks about Literally everything. There's a document, The Church and the Internet, from the 90s. That he wrote? That he wrote. Wow. It was like the Dicastery for communications or... I forget exactly where, but but he was the source
0: of of it. If the church is known for anything, it's its work with the internet, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but you we're famous for like websites being you know ten years out of date and. uh, Chris Alteri, friend of the show, uh, he said uh, Mm -hmm. the church's motto is uh, "Yesterday's technology, tomorrow." (laughs) (laughs) That's great,
2: but so in in at least the theoretical documentation of this. You can read it in that document. It's like, wow. He's like, this is coming from JP2. Like, this is all about this whole idea of become who you are. And it's like, God meets us where we are to help us become what we're created to be. And that's why this phrase, become who you are, is so, it's like syntax doesn't make sense. But but it's actually it's profound, beautiful, profound yeah. reality. And so, so, yes, these two plays... <laughs> They're, they're they're out of print. They are good. They're, they're, <laughs> right. they're worth a read. Right, right. But they they I've I got them in graduate school. I had a teacher who taught me JP2, who was at Catholic U at JP2 Institute and other places. But he he introduced these plays to us. But he told us, like, these plays are out of print. It's really hard to find them. So, of course, I went and found one. And it was in a book that I found, uh, you know, at a uh, used bookstore or whatever online. It was like $450 right. to get this rare book. And, and ever since then, you know, I photocopied the pages and I, right. you know, hand it out to students and people, whatever, but right, right. it was like, I would love to just be able to reprint this. So I just took a stab in the dark. I was like, why don't I find somebody at the Vatican and write an email? And I got an email back. And the person at the, the, the was like, she was like, oh, it's not in print now in English. I was like, no, it's out of print and i sent her like the copyright of the page from the book and i showed how it is actually the company that publishes not even in existence anymore so she was like oh sure if this is not in print you can totally put this in print
3: what the So heck? next thing
2: you know i have a contract from the, the from the for communication and and you know this whole thing and then we found the uh, the original translator who who did the original one that was when it was in print and he was approved by jp2 in in his translation. Mm-hmm. So that translator, he has since passed away, but his family, his estate, has the rights to his work. So I got the the daughter to to um to to get to agree to let us right. use the this uh, translation the translation. So we're not like creating our own translation or anything. We're just basically bringing it back to life that was previously out of print. So then we can make it available Hmm. for people.
0: That's Dr. Greg Batara, founder of the Catholic Psych Institute, host of the Being Human podcast, author of several books, and Vatican contractor. (laughs) Again, have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I have so much hope for my own life and career. On the the things you expected to be adding to your resume, uh, book publishing, and contracting for the Holy See were not things that you would have anticipated. Definitely, not. I probably would have tried to avoid both of those <laughs> <Yeah>. things. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: yeah so hopefully by Easter we're going to be able to put that out. And uh, oh my gosh, well, yeah, I'm I'm going
0: to buy a copy. Definitely, so, definitely yeah. do so. <laughs> that's awesome. Amazing. All right, this has been great, and you've been real generous. Yeah, give us so much time. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my Thank pleasure. You. This is a lot awesome. of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. I will. I'm gonna. I told Father Sam I'm gonna return the favor and have you guys. (laughs) Oh,
0: beautiful! (laughs) Come, come on my show. Awesome. (laughs) So, where can people find your stuff?
2: CatholicPsych.com. CatholicPsych is our handle everywhere. Instagram. Um, I actually just canceled a TikTok account, so I, I have a podcast episode coming out on this now. I haven't been on TikTok. I was horrified. When I went on there to see what our social media contracts, uh, you know, we have a consult, uh, you know, outsourced mm-hmm. social media stuff. And I was like, let's get on TikTok. Why not? Yeah, yeah. And then I went to check up on it, and I was horrified. at was actually on TikTok now, so I was like, we're done with this. And I did a whole episode on it. I was like, parents need to know, like, get off TikTok. Yeah, like, really don't right. let your kids on TikTok. But um, so we're not. You're not gonna find us on TikTok, but but the rest of the places, YouTube, wherever, it's all Catholic Psych, and that's Catholic p-s-y-c-h one word altogether, and then um, iddm is our our new launched um, offering for, for lack of a better word to do mentorship um, so you could go to iddmentor.com to learn more about that cool amazing thanks dr great thank nice you here. thanks for having me awesome